Hi, and welcome to Doing the Opposite Business Disruptors, the podcast where you get to meet incredible leaders who have swum against the tide, thrown out the rule book, and changed the way their sector does business. I'm Jeff Dewing, and I'm the founder and CEO of Cloud FM, a business where we thrive on taking risk so our clients don't have to. Today, you're going to meet John Mullins. John is Associate Professor of Management Practice at London Business School and one of the world's foremost thought leaders in entrepreneurship, with his best-selling books becoming the go-to resource for each stage of the entrepreneurial journey. From accessing opportunities, preparing business models and financing, his latest book, Break the Rules, The Six Counter-Conventional Mindsets of Entrepreneurs, that can help anyone change the world, offers a new take on entrepreneurship and sheds light on the methods that anyone can use to become more entrepreneurial to succeed in business. Reading John's journey demonstrates our aligned thought process in doing things differently or doing the opposite, which highlights the real pinnacle of purpose for me. The impact he has speaking around the world is evident to see. So, hi, John, and thank you so much for giving up your time today um, and joining me on this podcast, Doing the Opposite. It's fantastic to meet you. I've read a lot about you. I've I've researched a lot about you on YouTube. I'm very, very in awe of having this conversation with you. So, first and foremost is, can you just set the scene for us? Tell us of how you got to doing what you do and why you do it. Yeah, Jeff, uh, I, I can do that. And, and I want to thank you for having me on the podcast, too. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be part of this wonderful theme that you've, uh, you've developed here. I, I guess I got to where I am now because at mid-career in my 40s, I'd been in the retailing industry for 20 years. And um, I don't know if you know any retailers, but 20 years in retailing is a really long time. You know, it's a tough industry, a brutal industry, nights, weekends, all that stuff. And I said, you know, maybe I should do something different with the second half of my career. So I, I did some creative thinking and, and got a career coach to, to push me a little bit and decided that, well, you know, maybe I should be a professor when I grow up. And, uh, Eventually, that's what I decided to do. I did a little test drive and asked three local institutions if I could teach marketing 101 for them, which, as it turned out, all three said yes. So I was teaching the same course on three campuses to three different groups of students at the same time. That was a hoot. But I I discovered I loved uh, what it is to be a professor. So I earned a PhD and uh, embarked on a new career. and, And I found it's been my calling, Jeff. I love it, and I do it because I love it. And it turns out I'm pretty good at it. And did it ever occur to you while you was in retail that actually a PhD was quite appealing or was that something that didn't even cross your mind until later when you decided to change career? Never crossed my mind. Wow. I I had no idea I would do a PhD. But once I decided I wanted to be a professor, then it became clear that if I wanted to really be a professor, you know, really go for it and do it right, that I should do that. So I spent Two years, eight months, and 15 days doing it, as it turned out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a lot of commitment when you don't know what's on the other side, right? Absolutely, yep. I mean, we work in retail, so yes, we do understand how emotionally driven it is and, and how challenging it can be 
at all levels of retail, whether it be you know fast food, restaurants, um, shops, and and so on. But I mean, during that journey, what sort of happened that made you radically think so different? Other than that one sort of question, one day, should I do something different? Well, I spent seven years with a big supermarket chain in Chicago called Jewel. Then joined a very small company in California called Gap, which was uh, really a fantastic experience. You know, I was at Gap during the early stages of its growth, and we grew it from 100 to 400 stores in three years in the U.S., and that had been a phenomenal experience. But when Gap got a little bigger, it began to feel a little more bureaucratic, as you might guess. It needed to be. You know, you need systems and things to, to make a bigger company run well. And it got to be a little less fun. But I, I said, you know, I've learned some things here. Maybe I can do this on my own. And I wasn't the only one at the time who left Gap and set out on, on his or her own path. So after Gap, I did two startups, one of them a very small business with a friend that lasted 11 or 12 years. And the other one that, that grew a chain of fresh pasta stores to 15 stores in Denver and Chicago, but then we failed. And, and I hadn't failed before in my lifetime. You know, I w- I'd been pretty good at school. I'd been pretty good at sports. I'd been, I was pretty good at music. I was pretty good at stuff, you know, like many people. And uh, it, it hit me hard, I think, to have this. Uh, I took it personally. You know, I, I, I let some investors down. I didn't let any suppliers down. We paid everybody and uh, went out of business gracefully. But it, it occurred to me that I just wasn't learning anything more. And I wasn't learning much. I was in a in a bit of a rut, and I needed to do something different. And it took a year or two to really figure out what that was. But that's how it happened. And to be honest with you, Jeff, I think it was in my genes to be a teacher. I come from a family of educators, but I just hadn't paid any attention to that. I'd, I'd always liked in my retailing days working with words and, and working with people and coaching people and stuff like that. And all those things just came together and said, gee, maybe I should put these skills I have to a different purpose. And what was the primary reason for the failure of that, that business? <laughs> well, w- well, we were building little stores that sold fresh pasta cut before your eyes into fettuccine, linguine, tagliarini, or whatever, along with sauces and salads and so on, to take home. So the idea was the consumer would stop by on the way home from work get some fresh pasta, go home and have a really fast meal, fast and healthy meal. And of course, those were the days when pasta was a health food. Now pasta is a carb and it's bad for you. But in those those (laughs) days, you know, everybody was carbo loading and so on. And what happened is technology came along to make it possible to package fresh pasta in little plastic packages that we now see in every supermarket. And no no red-blooded American is going to drive one minute out of his way to a cute little pasta via store when he can just stick his hand in the supermarket cooler and take it home on the weekly shopping trip. Yeah. I think that was the biggest cause of our downfall. I guess from a leadership perspective, I mean, one of the things that, that the leadership environment, certainly in the UK, I'm sure across the world, will always state is that, you know, that failure is probably you know the biggest lessons you learn because that's how you learn, right? You learn, and we don't use the word failure in our business. We use the word learn. It's education. It's learning. And uh, as long as you don't fail the same thing twice, but generally that's how you become creative. And if you have a fear of failure, then you don't learn very much. So I guess that there were some lessons that you took out of that in, in, in that whole process, back to what you said and you say during your, your talks that, 
you know, you're not just an advisor and a professor on, on business entrepreneurship. You've actually run the train. You've driven the train. So you've experienced it all firsthand, which, which acts as not just about credibility, I guess, but at least people can say, well, look, this is not a guy that's just purely academic. He's, he's lived the pain as well. Yeah. And I, and I think that helps me do what I do better because I understand what my, my student or my executive, typically an entrepreneur, is going through. I've been, I've been there and I think I can deliver tools to help them grow their businesses and survive and, and reach their dreams. So beyond the element of business studies, business understanding, MBAs, and all the various sort of academia that we go through to learn about business and running a business and starting a business, you know, what would you say the other key ingredients are for any entrepreneur? What would you say their attitude has to be? You know, what is it that drives What's the biggest differentiator between success and failure other than the obvious issues of cash and all the other bits and pieces that go with it? What, 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 what is it about the person, the individual? There are a lot of things that lead to entrepreneurial success, and you've mentioned two of them. Cash, you got to figure that out. And, and the second is having the right people on the bus, as Jim Collins calls it. You got to have the right team. But one of the things I've discovered over the years that I've now been in this second career is that entrepreneurs are fundamentally different from other successful business people. And so recently, I set out to try and figure out exactly what those differences are. And I discovered it's in their mindset. And, and the mindset is that which connects what you think and what you observe that happens around you with how you respond or act on, on what comes your way. And I've discovered there are six entrepreneurial mindsets that, frankly, fly in the face of what we teach in business schools like mine and run pretty much counter to what big businesses do or teach their people to do. And I think these six mindsets are what really distinguish those entrepreneurs that build fantastic businesses from other very successful business people who do things differently. And in a way, my career change was an example of one of them. I, you know, I didn't know if I'd be a good professor. I didn't know if I could meet the research requirements of the professorial role. I didn't really know if I'd turn out to be a good teacher. But I said, you know what? Yes, I can do that. I'll figure out how. And, and that's one big thing that entrepreneurs do that's different from big companies. Big companies are told they should stick to their knitting. You have to build on your core competencies. You take what you're good at and you do more of that. And if another opportunity comes along that's different – they're taught to, well, no, you shouldn't do that. Stick to your knitting. But entrepreneurs, they say, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And, they, and then they go back to their office and they go, holy cow, how the hell am I going to deliver on what I just committed? There's a great saying that I like to use is that entrepreneurs is they bite off more than they can chew and learn very, very quickly how to chew. That's a nice way yeah. to put it. Yeah. That's, that's great. So tell me, during your career now of, of being a professor and, and teaching students and engaging students of all types, all sides, and all age, what sort of feedback do you get? Um, what feedback will you get from those students, either verbally or in terms of seeing them start their businesses and seeing their success or their failure? Uh, I, I think the biggest and most direct feedback I get, Jeff, is that the programs I run. So at, at London Business School, we do a lot of programs for two global organizations of entrepreneurs. One's called the Young Presidents Organization. The other is called the Entrepreneurs Organization. And what happens is we run a program and they come and they, they get some tools from us and they go back and put those tools to work. And then they come back the next year for more tools. So unlike almost all other exec ed around the world where you do it once and you say, okay, 
I'm done. They keep coming back for more. And I think that's the biggest validation I get. And then there's the validation of the of the fantastic progress their businesses make. You know, they they transform themselves often as a result of what we can give them in a in an ordinary classroom. It's truly remarkable. And what about when you do some of the things that are perhaps not true to form or not logical in a non-entrepreneur's mind for someone's trying to become an entrepreneur? During the sort of class environment and the discussion and the talk environment, do you see eyebrows being raised? Do you see people going, wow, yeah, that, that, that can't be right? Do you get those sort of feelings and those responses as well? All the time. So I'm a teacher that teaches with case studies on real on real companies of real entrepreneurs. And there are case studies that I've developed over time, more than 50 of them. And all those case studies have a decision that has to be made at the end of the case study. Should you go north or should you go south? Should you start the business? Should you not start the business? And they're all decisions about which there really isn't a right answer, where it was a really tough call that the entrepreneur faced. And, and the classroom will, will be divided. You know, half the people say, you know, he should go north, and the other half will say he should go south. Some may say he ought to fold his tent, who knows. And out of those conversations comes a lot of learning, because people see how each other, students who are entrepreneurs in the room, see that other people view the same information differently, they view it through a, maybe a structured lens that helps them pick it apart and, and organize that sometimes scattered information. So, yeah, I, I see those. I call them aha moments. I see those aha moments all the time. Yeah. Because I guess that, yeah, that, that's one of the things I love the most because I do a, a bit of keynote and it's, and it's lovely. Um, I, the one phrase I've used just to try and create that aha moment is I stand on stage in front of a couple of hundred businesses and, and, and client, potential clients and clients. And I'll say, I've never, ever met a client that wants to reduce costs. And then I have this long pause. <laughs> exactly. And then once I've endured the pause, which is great because I see everyone's thinking I'm mad. What, what are they doing here? I then say that every client I've met in my entire 40-year career have wanted to control costs. Because if you can control them, you can put them up, you can keep them the same, you can put them down. But the key is you need to be out of control costs. And it's just those sort of, and they go, wow, yeah, never thought about it that way. And it's all about, it's about mindset, about the way you think about things and the way in which you, you address them. Yeah, I, I, mindsets are incredibly powerful tools that, that we have at our disposal. Yeah, you're right. The other thing I'm interested in, because it's something that I think is more prominent in the US than it is in the UK, maybe even in Europe, but... You know, I've, I've run business since I was 24 years old, and my first business lasted for 10 years, and then it failed miserably for a number of reasons, which I won't go into now. But I then spent the next five years working out what I was going to do, what problem I was going to solve, and, and so on and so on. But one of the things that was common to me was that it was very lonely at the top, and yep. um, trying to get people to you, know, you couldn't really sort of discuss it with your family or, or, or your partner or your wife or your brothers and sisters because you didn't really understand or believe that they had a perspective that was worth listening to without that coming across in the wrong way. And then I joined a group about six years ago called Vistage, which is an international group of business leaders. Jim Collins speaks for them. Yep. And I've got to say that that's probably my, my, the biggest part of my learning in my 40 years has been via being a member of Vistage and having that peer group. Um, and of course, with Vistage comes business coaching and so on and so on. And at no point in the UK does any businessman or entrepreneur, other than those who have had some exposure to it, even dream of the fact of having a business coach. And you sort of sit and think, well, 
it's one of the most important things. Okay, it's about getting the right coach, but a peer group is is just transformational when you can get a true trusting peer group that you can share stuff that you can't share with anybody else. And that's been it's been revolutionary for me. Um, and the only regret I have in life is that I didn't find Vistage or a group like Vistage twenty years earlier. Yep. That's right. And and YPO and EO are similar uh, peer learning groups. There's tech in the U.S. Uh, all, all of these peer learning groups provide something that, that entrepreneurs really need because, as you say, Jeff, it is lonely at the top. Who do you talk to about an employee that's that's giving you a, pro- a key employee that's giving you a problem but is also a great performer? Who, who do you talk to about you know some of the audacious changes maybe you're thinking about making in your business uh, that would have impact on those inside the business? I mean, y- you need peers, and often it's helpful to have a coach. So, so I think you're right. And almost all of the learning that has led to this book I've written on mindsets called Break the Rules has come from lessons I've learned from YPOers and EOers who've been through this peer learning, can we share our lessons with one another kind of process. That's that's where the learning has come from for me. You know, people think academics have all this knowledge that comes from inside their institution that they're going to convey to others outside. It's actually the other way around. All the knowledge is in the real world, right? You guys have the real knowledge. I, mm, I just yeah. have to find a way to get my hands on it so I can then codify it and share it with others. Yeah. And again, it's interesting about your your new book, that our purpose as an organization is our industry. Uh, we, we surveyed our clients five, 10 years ago now, and 85% of clients do not trust their service provider, which is a, a worrying number. Bit of a problem there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and it's a $200 billion industry just in the UK. It's a huge organization, a huge industry. So um, we set out to change that with our technology and, and visibility and so on. And our purpose is to restore trust in a failing industry by changing the rules. And all we've done is we've said, why do we do what we've always done? Because we'll only ever get what we've always had. Why do people just default to comfort? Why do people think, do the same thing and expect a different result? That's what's been our biggest driver. And changing the rules, I mean, you don't do it for the sake of it, but you really challenge about how people think. It's like this um, home working. It's like this new environment of the hybrid. Um, people are going, oh, no, you can't, you can't let people sit at home if you can't watch them. And you know, what, if, what if they sit and watch telly all day? Or what if they go and sit in the garden and sunbathe? And you're going, guys, that's not what people do. No one gets up in the morning to do a bad job. You know, if you give true trust, you know, 99.9% of people will not let you down and you'll get the best out of them because they're controlling or influencing their destiny. And therefore, they actually become better people for it. And then they start to love what they do. And when they love what they do, they don't work a day in their life. So it's all that, but it's having the courage to, to behave differently to what we've all been told. And differences are what make the world go round. You know, doing the same thing that everybody else is is a, is, is a path to boredom and failure. Of course. Okay, John, last last few minutes now. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. So if there was only one thing that you could name, only one thing, what would you say you are most grateful for? I'd say I'm most grateful for my family who have allowed me to uh, move to London when nobody wanted to move to London, to travel all over the world doing workshops for entrepreneurs around the world, which takes me away from my family writing books with my head down in my office and I'm a pretty focused guy. Don't talk to me. You know, I'm writing. I'd say I'm really grateful to Donna and and to my daughters, Christina and Heather. 
Yeah. Great answer. Great answer. And then finally, if there was only one message that you could give us today based upon your experiences, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've felt, what single message would you give the audience of this podcast? I'd say don't shy away from breaking the rules. Rules and the way things are done around here and the the way things happened yesterday, all of those things are made to be broken. And if we don't break those rules and change things, our society, our economy, the world is not going to get better, right? We wouldn't have the penetration of electric vehicles we have today if Elon Musk had not said, you know what? I'm going to build a car company, but I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to ask people to pay for the car before I even build the car. You know, who would have thought you could do that, right? <laughs> he, just, he sold 100 roadsters for $100,000 a piece before he built the first one. I oh, know. <laughs> Breaking the rules and having the courage to do things differently is what's going to take us where we all want to go. Yeah, brilliant. That's a great answer again. Okay, John, listen, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you today. And again, thank you for the time you've given us today. I really appreciate it. And um, and hopefully, I'm looking forward to getting the book when it becomes available in the UK. Um, because, uh, you know, stuff like that, breaking the rules, you know, being disruptive, I mean, that's what gets me out of bed every day because I love to learn. So um, thank you very much for your contribution on that. I look forward to it. And hopefully our paths will cross again one day soon. Thank you. Well, what a chat, what a story. John Mullins, Professor of Business Studies and Entrepreneurship. I found that absolutely fascinating, especially after reading so much about John. But the bit I liked most was how he has tapped into this ability to teach at a very, very high level, a very academic level, but with the practical knowledge that he's endured himself on how to get people onto the right path, which is mainly driven by mindset. The key is, do you have the mindset? Do you have the mindset to be an entrepreneur? And what I loved most um, about John was was the, the unbelievable alignment we have on uh, our views of the world and our views on business in, in changing the rules, breaking the rules. Um, you know, if we're gonna evolve as a society, uh, as a human race, we, we have to try new things. We have to do things differently. Uh, we, we have to break all the rules and um, we have to learn to not be fearful of that. We have to have the courage to do things differently. So I really, really enjoyed that, enjoyed that chat. And of course, uh, John was in Colorado. It was the beginning of his day for him. Um, and he's going off to do some teaching this afternoon and uh, I can't wait to meet up with him sometime in the, in the future. Anyway, do listen back to earlier episodes of Doing the Opposite, where you'll hear from guests like Jerome Mandeville, who embarked on a journey to repair the world's oceans with new engineered reefs that will generate the solution to our carbon capture. I'm Jeff Dewey, author of the best-selling book, Doing the Opposite, and CEO of Cloud FM. Cloud FM are changing the rules of our industry and doing the opposite to create best value for our clients. If you'd like to know more, visit our website at cloudfmgroup.com or follow us on LinkedIn. You can also find more about the podcast and my incredible guests at podcast.cloudfmgroup.com. 
finally, a big thanks to my team, Nicola Crawshaw at Cloud FM, Thinking Hat PR, and my production team, What Goes On Media, who have helped me create this incredibly popular disruptive podcast. Thanks for listening.